Just before the Buddha died, he said a few things to his community. And we are also the recipients of what he said 2,500 years later. One thing that he said was, strive on untiringly. (laughs) Very strong words. As you may have noticed, Buddhism never minces words. And a Tibetan yogi named Milarepa said something during a retreat of his. He died a long time ago, but this is what he left us with, among other things. In one place, during a retreat, I meditated strenuously for 11 months, never allowing my cushion to lose its warmth. (laughs) In other words, he must have taken bathroom breaks and, and food breaks, but he always came back before his cushion had totally lost that little warm place that it gets when we sit. So, obviously, effort is something that is very much being asked of us if we want to free ourselves, if we want to get to know who we are, liberate ourselves. But the question is, what is effort? Because this being one of the crucial factors on the path, what is it exactly? And so what I would like to look at tonight is what effort is and what effort isn't. To go about it from the isn't perspective first, what effort isn't, what it isn't is the attempt to become somebody It's also not the attempt to become somebody else other than who we are. It is not about attaining any particular state of mind. It is not about maintaining any particular states of mind that may arise and trying to hold on to them. It's not about trying to see something in particular. And it's not about trying to achieve something special. It has nothing to do with changing the contents of mind. And it has nothing to do with controlling the contents of mind. It also is not pushing anything away And it is not clinging. It is not trying to hold on to anything at all. In the realm of meditation, the old rules don't apply. The effort that we grew up with, the effort that we've learned, our conditioned effort, effort often isn't a great word to use because there's so much charge to it. What's attached to the old kind of effort, are ideas about success and about failure and about right and about wrong. And in the realm of meditation, these things have no place because the whole path has to do with what leads us away from suffering and what leads us into happiness, into peace, into freedom. So it has nothing to do with 
right, wrong, success, failure. And this is very often how our mind works. So to some extent, effort is about letting go of that old conditioning and learning in a new way what diligence is, what determination is in this endeavor of getting to know ourselves. What effort is, in a positive sense, is learning how to relate skillfully to the contents of our mind. Whatever it is that is in our mind, knowing that we can't control it, because it's just nature, it's just conditioning, it arises. What we can work with, where we have the choice, and this is so very, very important, where we have the choice, is that we can learn how to relate to the contents of our mind in a really different way, in a way that liberates rather than locks it in, whatever it may be. So the effort basically is to understand ourselves. That's it. It's to understand. It's not to try to change. It's not to try and push. It's not to try to reject or to eliminate anything from our world, from our mind. It's rather the attempt to understand what is, to understand exactly what we find in our mind, to understand our situation, or maybe we could say our dilemma. Effort is acknowledging states of mind that obscure peace, that hide Buddha nature from us, that are kind of a veil over calmness and tranquility, over the natural radiance in our minds. And so some of what effort is about is acknowledging what these states may be, rather than being lost in them, acknowledging and naming. One of the things you may have seen in the, well, I shouldn't say may, I'm sure all of us have, in the last couple of days, is how much the mind likes to think pleasant thoughts. There's a tendency for the mind to sort of loll around in thoughts that are very pleasant. The mind is drawn to pleasant thinking. And we can see in that that the mind likes to get absorbed in pleasure. Now, there's nothing wrong or right about this. And if we look at it really closely, perhaps we can see that the pleasant thoughts don't really get us anywhere. It can be compared to starting off going somewhere and getting on the wrong train, thinking that you're going some particular place, but taking the wrong train instead. But then, because there are beautiful colors in the train, and you like the conductor, and he's very kind, the old-style conductor, and you have a nice, pleasant companion next to you, doesn't smoke, or does smoke if you do, there's a, a real companionship, you get chatting away, and then you find out at some point that you're going in the wrong direction. But maybe you don't even get off because you're having such a good time. <laughs> Which is, you know, 
tends to be what the mind does. We notice that the mind is going in the direction of pleasant thought after pleasant thought after pleasant thought. And then perhaps we have a moment where we can jump off the train. And perhaps there's this compelling force to dive back in. And that is something that we just simply want to acknowledge and see. Now when I say that um, you know, it's like getting on a train and finding out that you are going in the wrong direction, part of what the practice is is finding out where we do want to go and experimenting. In other words, one doesn't want to just force the mind back to the breathing based on somebody saying that that's a good idea. See what happens if you go, if the mind is in this state, there's a lot of desire in the mind, there's a lot of wanting to think about pleasant things, see what happens. You know, see if it's going in a direction of peace. See if it really does lead one to freedom and to happiness. Because these teachings are very much to be tested. They're not to be believed. They're not, they're not to be taken in a blind way. But to see when there is this compelling need to dive back into pleasurable thoughts, into desire, see if when you pop out again, you have come to any place better than where you started off. Just to check that out. See if the mind is, is more peaceful or maybe it's a little bit more tired. Maybe you can just catch a little bit of, of tiredness in that. And this is, this is very helpful because um, we're not trying to convince ourselves of anything. Effort in meditation isn't about trying to convince ourselves of anything. It's about understanding how things work, how things operate. What is the force of desire in the mind? And how can we work with it in a skillful way? So that we're not rejecting, saying this is wrong, this is bad. And at the same time, we're seeing maybe it needs to be let go of. Maybe there is more peace, more joy, more happiness to be found right here and now. And that the pleasurable thinking, the, this compulsion to think about certain things, is a way of hiding from something else that's going on. Perhaps there's an ache that one is hiding from. And so there's a lot of pleasurable thinking so that one doesn't have to feel that ache. And as we allow ourselves more and more to be with what is, to be with perhaps the ache, we see that it changes. It does indeed go in the direction that we want to go in. But this is something to try. It's something to experiment with. It's not something to force the mind into. Perhaps there are a lot of things happening in the mind, um, a lot of restlessness occurring, a lot of sleepiness or dullness. Um, perhaps there's a feeling of aversion of just not wanting things to be a certain way, not wanting the aversion to be there, aversion to aversion, not wanting to be sleepy, not wanting to be dull, not wanting to be restless, that kind of agitated, restless feeling within the body, or perhaps in the mind when you notice the mind is going from place to place to place. And you can recognize that there's a certain agitation there. And then the mind says, 
this shouldn't be like this, or I don't deserve this. You know, the mind starts talking. Or the mind says simply, I don't want it to be this way. I just don't like it this way. When there is this very strong feeling of it shouldn't be that w- this way, there is also an accompanying feeling of blame or of judgment or of guilt, whatever the object may be. And so we, we want to notice what is happening and then to come to the place that maybe it shouldn't be this way. In a, in a totally reasonable world, maybe it wouldn't be this way. And of course I don't want it to be this way. Of course, as a sane human being, I don't want to feel restlessness. I don't want to feel dull when I should be sitting up straight. I don't want to feel aversion. And yet, this is the way it is. And this is part of what effort has to do with, is the understanding that we can rail against it all we want, and we can say that it shouldn't be, and we can very much say, I don't want it to be, And this is all fine, that this all goes through the mind. It's not that it shouldn't be happening. It's not that these thoughts shouldn't be going on in the mind. It's also, at the same time, coming to a different level where we see that whether we want it to be this way or not, it is this way. And in that isness, there's a certain acceptance. There's immediately a bit of rest that the mind receives, simply by being able to come to see that it is indeed this way. And then the question changes. It changes from how do I get out of this, and how do I eliminate this, and how do I get rid of this terrible feeling, to how can I come to terms with it, which is quite different. In other words, there's acceptance that this is the way it is. And then the question is, how can I deal with it? How can I work with it? It's, it's gone um, beyond the why is it happening, looking for causes and running after causes. And it's gone into how. How am I relating to it? So it's not even so much on the what, what is happening. It's much more on how am I working with it. And this is where a lot can happen. This is the space in practice where possibilities are just endless in this space in terms of how I am relating to it. Sometimes one feels a bit squeezed in a retreat setting and feels that it wouldn't be happening if I weren't here. (laughs) You know, if they weren't making me (laughs) sit and feeding me at this certain time and, you know, taking all my control away from me these things wouldn't be happening. I wouldn't feel restless. I wouldn't have anything to feel aversion towards. Um, you know, I, <laughs> these, these things wouldn't be occurring. And of course, when we look at it, what we see is that a retreat simplifies our life in such a way that we are able to see at that, we are able to see that which is happening all the time, that we are usually moving away from. In other words, in life as usual, perhaps there is a great deal of restlessness, but we're just, we just don't see it because we're busy doing other things. We're busy um, immediately when we feel it, we move away from it in some way. We call someone on the phone or, you know, the refrigerator opens mechanically and we don't even know how it opened. Um, but on a retreat, 
everything is there for us to see. Because it's a simplified situation, we are just here with ourselves. And because of that, it's possible to see more and more what is really happening within us and at the same time to come to terms with what is happening, to understand and to free ourselves from whatever it is that's occurring that is keeping us caught or imprisoned. In order to be able to understand, in order to be able to see, in order to come to the liberating understanding that we're searching for, the understanding that really does free us, it's necessary to get close to whatever it is that's happening. If we're keeping things at an arm's distance over here, then there's no possibility of understanding because it's not close enough. We're not in contact with it enough to really see what's going on, to really understand. And this is where the breath comes in because the more we can very gently and without forcing be with the breath, be present with each inhalation, be present with each exhalation, the more we can do this, the more we're building up our strength to be with more difficult states of mind, so that when aversion arises, it doesn't immediately squelch us, so that when restlessness arises, we don't feel totally out of control. We have a chance at being able to work with it. When sleepiness arises, it's okay. It's not terrible. It's not um, something we're struggling with or doing as much battle with. So being with the breath is very, very helpful because it allows for a strength in the mind to develop, for an ability to sustain our attention on whatever we would like to sustain it on to happen, so that we're not pushed around and pulled around so much by various states of mind. It also helps with staying composed, to work with the the breath, to be as careful as possible with the breathing, helps us to stay composed and not panic quite as much when we find ourselves in a funny place. And this is very, very important, whether one finds oneself really, really restless or very pushing away, feeling an enormous amount of rest, of, um, of aversion happening, of resistance happening, to just stay still is very, very helpful, to just stay calm about the whole thing. Because when we panic, we begin to flail around inside. We all look like very good yogis just sitting here. And yet, if there were a a movie that could go inside of the mind and the body, it would be quite a different story, probably. I mean, you know yourself. But probably there would be a lot of inner flailing happening. You know, like little little bodies, little little baby us's, kind of moving us around, pushing things around in the body and in the mind. And we exhaust ourselves when we get into this flailing mode. So when this happens, and it happens to everyone at some point, it's very, very helpful to not try to get rid of what is happening, because this kind of effort doesn't work. It's much more effective to be very, very quiet and very, very still and look around at one's environment. 
What is actually happening here? Restlessness, but then one breaks it down and one feels, ah, that means there's a buzzing feeling in my chest right now. Or it means that there is, there are a lot of thoughts happening right now and they're going from one after to another to another. One can be aware of this broken down sense and it helps to keep one calm and still and quiet rather than getting panicky and getting exhausted. There are a few images that um, may be helpful in terms of working with the mind. (coughs) One is the image Ajahn Chah speaks about. He was a a Thai meditation teacher. Um, He speaks about not feeding the cat. And (laughs) this means that when these states of mind come around, we don't have to feed them. In other words, when a cat comes by, when a stray cat comes by one's house, if you feed the cat, it comes back day after day after day. This is the nature of cat, because it knows it's going to get fed, so it comes back to the same place. So not feeding the cat in terms of the mind means not feeding the states of mind by pushing away and by trying to cling. And we see, just as with a cat, the cat gets tired. The cat doesn't come around anymore if it knows it's not going to get fed. In the same way, these states of mind stop coming around (laughs) because they know they're not going to get any nourishment. There's another image which has to do with not feeding the fire. And what this means is when there's a fire and one is putting fuel on the fire, of course, it's going to keep burning. If you simply stop putting the fuel on the fire, yes, there's going to be a burning feeling, and eventually the fire's going to die. The fire's going to cease. And this is exactly what happens to states of mind, is that when we don't push away, when we don't cling, and when we don't identify, gradually, 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 emphasis on the gradually, (laughs) these states do cease. They do change. They are handleable, they are workable. And then there's another, that the first image was from Ajahn Chah, the second image is a very old Buddhist image, and the third image comes from the Boston Globe. It's a New England proverb. You can't keep trouble from coming, but you don't have to give it a chair to sit on. So, of course, what this means is that We can't help it. We can't help the way the mind is. It just simply is the way it is. And we don't have to settle it all in and nourish certain states of mind. We can simply allow whatever is there to come and to go, to come and to go, to come and to go. There are a few hints in terms of working with effort that I'd like to, to pass on. One is that it's very helpful to use the form of a retreat like this to its maximum. It's very, very useful to work through the various ebbs and flows of energy that we feel. So to really stay consistent with the walking, with the sitting, with the sitting, with the walking, to really stay consistent with it, to use the schedule as much as possible. 
because we'll see that the energy goes up and down and up and down and that we can work with something that is beyond that ebb and flow of energy. We can work with diligence or determination, which is not exactly the same thing as energy. You know, energy is a certain feeling in the body or a certain feeling in the mind, whereas diligence is something, even if there isn't a whole lot of energy, one can still be diligent. One can still have a certain amount of determination. That's why it's possible to work with sleepiness or dullness. It wouldn't be possible because that's, a, that's when the energy is not really full. And it is possible to work with sleepiness or with dullness. So this is very helpful. And one can set oneself free in terms of working with the form by knowing that we don't have to feel like it. You know, you can really get stuck in this thing. Do I really feel like sitting right now? No, of course I don't. Do I really feel like walking right now? No. Do I feel like getting up at 5 in the morning? Absolutely not. And yet one can do it anyhow. And it's very, very helpful to liberate oneself from this um, having to be imprisoned by one's feelings, by having to be enslaved by whether I feel like doing it or whether I don't feel like doing it. There's something that is deeper than that that brought us all here that is happening right now for each one of us. And this is what we can call upon rather than having to feel like it each time, always checking the mind. Um, you know, even if one knows, yes, I'm going to get up at five, or yes, I know I'm going to do the next sitting, it's not as if it's a choice that one is or isn't. One is. But still, maybe the, you can notice that there's a subtle checking of the mind about whether you feel like doing it or not. This is very helpful to see because it can be laid aside and it's very helpful to do so. It has to do with lifting the mind up and surrendering to the form, surrendering to the sitting, surrendering to the walking, and being very full in whatever activity that we're doing. One point is when one gets discouraged and um, wonders why one is here, the point is that we are here. You know, we're not eating ice cream right now, and we're not doing this and that. We're not going to movies. We've made a choice to spend the next amount of time with ourselves in this situation. So giving up all of those things, um, certainly we might want to use this situation to its fullest and see what can come out of that, what can come out of fully surrendering to the practice, to that which knows inside us that it truly is worth it. Sometimes it's helpful to do it as an experiment. It's not that one has to have all this enormous faith in the practice in order to be practicing. Um, You can do it as an experiment in that you're walking and the mind is perhaps full of doubt. You can say something to yourself like, okay, but I have to be here anyhow. I know I'm going to keep walking. So can I just surrender for the next 20 minutes to the sensations of walking? staying with the lifting, moving, placing, period. And, of course, the mind will go off. But when we notice the mind going off, to really make a determined effort to bring it right back. And the same with the breathing, a determined effort to bring it right back into the present moment once again. And if you do this in kind of a light, experimental way, then it's not as if you have to resign yourself for the next nine days 
to just being with your breath or just being with sensations in your feet or whatever image you may be carrying around with you. Um, it's more just, okay, I'll lay it aside for now and see what happens. And then, you know, surely at the end of 20 minutes, maybe something has just a teeny bit, there's a teeny tiny bit more peace or a teeny tiny bit more ease in the mind. And so it gives one a bit of faith to, to continue. Another hint is to turn towards the breathing or, or to turn towards whatever the state of mind that is overwhelming the breathing what I was just speaking about in terms of desire or aversion or restlessness, doubt, um, sleepiness, whatever it may be, if it's overpowering the breathing. But to turn towards is what effort is. It's nothing more than that. It's not to completely swing around. It's not to turn halfway. It's to turn towards. So it's, it's a pretty gentle movement. It's just turning towards the breathing. And then it's covering the object, whatever the object is. In this case, we're with the breath most of the time. So it's covering the breath with mindfulness. It's completely um, rubbing up against the sensations of the breathing. It's aiming the mind, turning the mind towards the breathing, and aiming the mind at the breath. And then it's rubbing the mind up against the sensations of breathing. And then it's staying with it. It's working with a certain sense of continuity. And often the image used here is of a tea kettle, where if you have it on the stove and you keep picking it up to see if it's boiled, it never gets boiled because you keep picking it up to check. So without checking, um, a sense of continuity, being with one breath after another, being with one step after another. And sometimes things happen when we do this that um, kind of sneak up on one. Um, Suzuki Roshi talks about this, and it actually happened the other day. I felt like a spiritual cliché. I was out taking a walk, and it was kind of dreamy out. It was a couple of days ago, and it was very, very dreamy, and kind of dreamy atmosphere. And there was um, a mist occurring. It wasn't raining, raining. There was just this very, very, very subtle mist. You couldn't even see it. And so I decided to go out for a walk anyhow and um, walked just down to the lake and back. And I had a, a coat on and, you know, socks and sandals. And when I got back, I was completely drenched. My hair was totally wet. My whole, my whole coat and feet were totally drenched. But I didn't realize it when, I was, when it was happening. And this is kind of the way the practice happens, when we're not checking so much, when we're not worrying so much, when we're not evaluating how, what our progress is, how we're doing, so much, um, we see that something happens. And just, you know, this, this way of just speaking about the mist, that we get soaked with something. And then, ah, this is what it is. You know, but it, but it sneaks up on you. It's not because it runs away when one's looking for P-E-A-C-E or for F-R-E-E-D-O-M. It doesn't mean anything. It runs away. Uh, it's not real. It's just an, an idea that we have, or based on a memory. You know, but for it to be real, it's kind of this sneaking up kind of thing, and then, ah, yes, this is it. There's two warning signals I would just like to share. 
um, which is when the effort isn't really right. One is when you find yourself waiting a lot. When you find that you're waiting, you're in a sitting and you're waiting for the walking. You're in a walking, you're waiting for the sitting to happen. You're in a walking and you're waiting for lunch to happen. You're eating and you're not really eating. You're waiting for something else to happen, for the walk after lunch perhaps. Um, there's, there's always a sense of not fully doing what we're doing because of something to come. And this is an, a warning signal that one needs to pay more attention in the moment to whatever state of mind is happening. It's a signal to either drop completely and fully into the breathing at that point, or to just drop a notch below waiting mind and see what's happening, see what's going on, stay in the body and see what's going on. Um, it's experienced a lot just in terms of the bell. You can have a lot of sittings where you're just waiting for the sitting to be over, waiting for the bell to ring. And it's very important to recognize waiting mind rather than getting totally lost in it and thinking that, you know, this is the way I'll, I'll just do my retreat. And the hours would just fly by and, you know, no problem. But instead of that, to notice that this is happening, to notice that this quality of waiting is happening. Because this waiting mind is very oppressive. There's quite a pressure in it. And if we notice that waiting is happening rather than being lost in it, then there's some air, then there's some room, then there is not the necessity to be oppressed. The same thing is true if you find that you're bored a lot, if you find that there's a lot of boredom in the mind or any boredom in the mind. Whenever there's boredom in the mind, it is also a warning signal that one is not paying close enough attention to what's happening. And so again, it's like a red light going off that one needs to adjust the effort one needs to go right into the breathing at that point and see what it is that's happening. See exactly what's happening on this inhalation, exactly what's happening on this exhalation. Very, very careful. It means the effort has to be sharpened a bit. Okay, let me just leave you with a, um, a quote by Krishnamurti. When the mind is still, tranquil, not seeking any answer or solution even, neither resisting nor avoiding, it is only then that there can be a regeneration, because then the mind is capable of perceiving what is true. And it is the truth that liberates, not our effort to be free. Hey, why don't we sit for a, a moment or two together? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.